We're going to spend time this morning, um, as Susan said, um, really digging into this idea of Emmanuel, um, that God came down to dwell with us. And, um, and really just, I don't want us to miss, I don't want us to miss how, how profound and meaningful that is. Um, I, I think it's, it's really easy. Um, obviously, the season that we're in, you can get distracted away. But even beyond that, just the day-to-day living, just everything that we do, and even, even on Sunday morning, uh, as we come in and, and uh, you know, Matt will have some songs that are picked out that he's going to sing, and then uh, either Pastor Paul or myself gets up and we have a message that we prepare that we need to preach, and we can slide right past this, this reality that God came down and dwelled with us. And like even as we were singing this morning, and singing, I wait for you, I wait for you, I wait for you, you you realize that for thousands of years, people have been shouting that same thing. Like that, that thing that we shouted in worship this morning, that people have been crying out in the same way for thousands of years. Some still to this day shout out waiting for the Messiah because they, they missed it. They didn't know that he already came. Some continue to shout out because we just want him to come back. And, and so um, this idea of Emmanuel, of God being with us, um, I do want us to talk about that this morning. I want us to talk about um, the significance of it. And, and really, we are going to kind of try to spend some time looking at at the time frame, and based off of what the Bible says, what we what we see directly in the scriptures, how we kind of pin down uh, the actual time of his birth, and talk about the significance of that, and talk about the the significance of uh, of him coming and and being Emmanuel, and being God with us. So um, I do want to start this morning. We're going to start in Luke chapter two, which is a very very familiar passage of scripture to you. Uh, we're going to start with Luke 2, then we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, so we're going to work backwards a little bit, um, and then we're going to finish up in, in Zechariah this morning. So, um, so we ready? Okay, good. Let's, let's get into this. Then. All right, in Luke chapter 2, uh, there's quite a bit of scripture that I want to share today, so just bear with me as, as we do this, but I want to give the, uh, the proper... Um, the proper reverence to the scriptures and, and what it says. So uh, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now it happened in those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the world's inhabitants. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone was traveling to be registered in his own city. Now Joseph also went up from the Galilee out of the town of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and family of David. He went to register with Mary, who was, in, who was engaged to him, and was pregnant. But while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and set him down in a manger, since there was no room for them in the inn. 
Now there were shepherds in the same region living out in the fields and guarding their flocks at night. Suddenly an angel of Adonai stood before them, and the glory of Adonai shone all around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim good news to you, which will be great joy to all the people. A Savior is born to you in the city of David, who is Messiah the Lord. And the sign to you is this, you will find an infant wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a multitude of heavenly armies appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth shalom to men of goodwill. When the angel departed from them into the heavens, the shepherds were, sta- were saying to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which Adonai has made known to us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they had seen this, they were known... They made known to the world. I'm sorry. They made known the word that had been spoken to them concerning the child, and all those who heard were amazed at the things the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. And we do pray that God would honor uh, the reading of His word this morning. So, um, again, you've seen and heard that text before. Uh, there are some things that come out of that, uh, that specifically, that do give us, uh, give us an idea of some things that, like, maybe the, the traditional way that we've uh, gone about celebrating his birth, or the traditional time, I guess, as most of us have grown up, um, may not be completely in line with what the scriptures say. Um, one of those things being, that it says that the shepherds were out keeping watch over their flock of sheep at night. Now, um, in the month that we are currently in, uh, which is traditionally the time celebrated as the birth of Jesus, um, it's very, very cold. And in this part of the world, um, it was really, really cold. And it also, not just cold, but it also had a tendency to be very, very rainy. So it was rainy and cold. That's just, for the most part, that's a type of weather that you get in this area during that time. Um, And what that would tell us in all reality is that the shepherds would actually have their flock of sheep in a safe, secure area outside of the elements. So there's that one little thing that kind of comes up. One other thing that, um, that I found fascinating in studying uh, these texts this week, or over the last couple of weeks really, um, is the word manger. So in our head, we, we have this thing that they're, in a, um, that they're in a barn, and that the manger is like a feeding trough. That's kind of the way we've, we've typically uh, looked at that thing. Um, but that word manger is not like it's not really best translated as feeding trough. Um, it's actually a serving dish, and it was used typically. It was used to put the bread on that was going to be served at a meal. What is fascinating about that is that when people would celebrate the feast of booths or Sukkot, or tabernacles, is that families would typically travel 
with a manger. It would go with them because when they got their meals prepared, they would put the bread on the manger. So I just thought that that was really, really fascinating because like in our heads, it's always this this trough that you put the, the donkey's food in, but it was really just a serving dish. So I it doesn't really have any bearing on anything, just something that I found really, really interesting about this. So, um, so what I want us to do this morning is really try to zero in on, um, okay, so when was it? When, when were the shepherd out in their field keeping watch over their flock at night and, and this angel came down and talked to them to tell them to go and see this infant that's on a serving dish out in this place? So when, when was that? And I think that I'd always just kind of accepted the fact that, um, you know, maybe we don't really know when that was. But the Bible actually does give us a timeline. I actually had to do some math this, this week, which anytime I have to do math, it's like things can get off the rails pretty quickly or I have to get a tutor or whatever. But I did a little bit of math and because there, there is biblical evidence. There's things that show us of a time when, when, that we can kind of zero in on. So in order to get that, um, I want you to maybe just turn back a page. We're going to get into uh, Luke chapter 1 where we see um, we're able to start getting a timeline put together based off of when Gabriel comes to Zechariah in the temple, okay? Uh, Zechariah then is John the Baptist, his dad, which was Jesus's cousin, okay? So, uh, but this helps us to kind of pull together a little bit of a timeline for this. So in, uh, in Luke chapter one, again, there's, there's kind of a lot of text here. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through it, but, but there's some things I want us to, to pull out along the way. So we're gonna start in verse five. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. The word there is Kohen. I have this uh, tree of life uh, translation of the scriptures. Periodically, it has um, a Hebrew word standing in place of what I expect to be an English word there. And so like I stumble over it sometimes. So the word there is Kohen, but it it translates as priest. Uh, There was a priest named Zechariah from the priestly division of Abiha. Now remember our Abia. Remember, there is no J sound in, in the Hebrew language, so the word there is abia. Um, Elizabeth, his wife, was from the daughter uh, was from the daughters of Aaron. Together, they were righteous before Adonai, walking without fault in all his commandments and instructions. But they were childless because Elizabeth was barren, and both and both of them were elderly. So, the first thing that that like we can really really kind of key in on is it tells us what priestly tribe that Zechariah served under. That's really, really important for the timeline. So it says that he was of the division of Abiah. Uh, now, if you, if you were to spend some time, and this would, be, this would be worth your time, you can jot it down. If you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 24, it has a listing of the priestly tribes and when they were to serve their time. There's 24 of them, 24 priestly tribes that then based off of their lot, 1 Chronicles chapter 24, 
Um, so they did the lots, and then this is what your job was going to be. And it's laid out in First Chronicles 24. It says this tribe was the first one, then this one was the second one. Now, Abiha was the eighth. It's the eighth division. Uh, Matt, will you show us that timeline, the Hebrew calendar? Um, I put this together. Um, it's rough, but I wanted to do this because, like, visually I need to, like, grab a hold of it because we're we're working on two pieces of understanding here. There's a Hebrew calendar, and then there's a the calendar that you and I work off of that we're more comfortable with and we know. So um, I put these side by side so that you could see. And when it says like Nisan is March and April, it's not really saying it's March and April. It's like the middle of March to the middle of April is when that, when that time of Nisan runs. Now, I put in there where the eighth division was. That was when Zechariah would have been in the temple serving according to the tribe that he was a part of, okay? So if we put that time as the, the eighth division, basically it meant the eighth week, but they served multiple weeks because there were 24 of them. If you just said that they served two two weeks, that would be 48 weeks. We're not really quite all the way through a full year with that, but they had a little, there, sometimes there might have been some crossover, carryover, but basically you're talking about the eighth and the ninth week of the year when the eighth division would, would be in place. So um, that falls right there in between uh, Savan and Tammuz, which was middle to late June when his division would have been in the temple serving, okay? So this is important that we grab a hold of that. So hold on to that piece right there. That's where uh, Zechariah would have been in the temple serving. Uh, so now back to the scriptures. In verse eight, it says, now it happened to be Zechariah's time to serve as priest before Adonai in the course of his division. According to the custom of the priestly office, it, be it became his lot to enter the holy place of Adonai to burn incense. So they would, they would cast lots to see who was actually going to be the one to go into the holy place to do the different duties that needed to be done. So he drew the lot that said, you're gonna be the one that goes in and lights the incense at that table, that particular role. That's going to be your job. So... Um, Verse 10, and a crowd, a whole crowd of people were praying outside at the hour of incense burning. An angel of Adonai appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah is in turmoil when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. Why do you think the fear fell upon him? Okay, I want you to put yourself in this situation. He has gone into the temple. He has moved into the holy place. He's going to serve to do his priestly duty. And it says that a multitude of people had gathered outside to pray during the hour of incense. This was a particular time, a particular duty and role that Zechariah was going to do. So as he walks in to fulfill his role, which this is heavy, like this is a big, huge responsibility for the priest to serve in this capacity. And it honestly was not something that they got in line to do. Like, oh, pick me. That's why they had to, that's why they had to cast lots. Because like, 
the lot fell to you. It's your turn. Well, you better make sure that you're ready to walk into the holy place, right? So as he does that and walks in, Gabriel is standing to the right of the altar of incense. I don't know if you remember Pastor Paul talking about Gabriel. He's the big dog, right? I mean, he's, he's the one that like goes and fights the battles. He's the one that was warring with Satan over the body of Moses. Like This is the big one. They didn't send in the JV to go send this announcement to Zachariah. They sent in the varsity quarterback and go let him know what's going to happen. So you see oftentimes in the scriptures where people have encounters with angels and their typical response is to fall down like they're dead. That's the typical response that you see in the scriptures when people encounter angels. So as he walks in, he's probably already on edge a little bit because it was his lot that was cast and it was his turn to go in to light to light the candle of incense. It was his turn. So he's probably a little bit on edge already, but then he walks in and there's Gabe is there. And, and so, and then he says, but fear not, because I have a message for you. And this is where it gets, gets pretty interesting here. So um, verse 13, the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you will name him John. And you will have joy, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before Adonai, and he shall not drink wine and intoxicating beverage, but he will be filled with the Ruach HaKadosh, which is the Holy Spirit, just out of his mother's womb. That's really, really significant. There's no one that's ever lived apart from John the Baptist other than Yeshua, who was filled with the Spirit of God from birth. That's, that's really, really significant. It says, out of the mother's womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the one true living God. It's really important. Many in Israel will turn to Adonai, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient ones to the wisdom and the righteousness to make ready for Adonai, a prepared people. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in age. Um, Elizabeth was not in there when Zechariah said this, by the way, because like, when, you, when you do the word study there, what he actually said is, I'm pretty old, but you ought to see my wife. That woman's old. Like you think I'm old, you ought to see my Elizabeth is well advanced in years, so that's how you know for sure Elizabeth was nowhere within an earshot of what Zechariah just said right here. Now, what's also really significant is his response to Gabriel telling him, look, I'm bringing you good news. Your wife is going to have a child, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to go out and prepare the way for 
for Adonai to come and, and rescue the hearts of his people. There's something about his response, and I'll give you a hint. It has to do with the heart. But his response in saying, how will I know this for certain? Like it seems pretty, like it seems like a legit question, especially when you hold that in light of Mary's response to the same thing. It sounds very similar as it's translated into English for us. However, there was some issue that Gabriel took with the fact that John asked this question. Verse 19, and speaking to him, the angel declared, I am Gabriel, the one standing in God's presence. Like, it's almost like he's like, are you kidding me? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of, of the Almighty, and you're going to ask me if I'm telling you the truth? I'm Gabriel. Yeah. It was an oops moment. I stand in the presence of God. I was commissioned to tell you and proclaim to you this good news. So look, you will be silent and powerless to speak until the day these things happen, since you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their times. So because you didn't believe me, I'm shutting your mouth and you're not going to be able to speak until this all happens. Now, Mary's response is not that different. When this whole thing comes about to her, let's, we'll just keep going. Um, Verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering about his long delay in the holy place. You know what they were wondering? They were wondering if he died. You, you remember the thing about the priests when they would go in and they would have to wear the bells at the bottom of their robe and if they, they heard the bells, if they stopped ringing, it means that they died. So the rope that they tied around their waist, they would just have to drag them out. And so as the people who had gathered to pray at the hour of incense, they're just waiting out there. They have no idea what's going on inside. And they're just waiting and they're like, this is taking longer than it should take. He was supposed to go in and light the incense. It doesn't take that long. So they're waiting and they're wondering. Verse 22, but when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the holy place. He was making signs to them, but remained mute. When the days of his priestly service had been complete, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and did herself and hid herself for five months, saying, Adonai had done this for me. In these days, he looked upon me to, make, to take away my disgrace among the people. So um, while we don't really know exactly when John was conceived, it's important to remember that John's conception was not an immaculate conception, okay? So the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and brought about this pregnancy where she was going to carry the Messiah. 
That is not the case with John the Baptist. It's important to draw this line of distinction because when the angel came and told John that your wife, I mean, that told Zechariah, your wife is going to have this son. You're going to call him John. It didn't just happen. So, so when Zechariah's priestly duty was over, he went home. Now, because of, because of what happened in the holy place, logically, I'm just thinking it probably wasn't long from the time that he left to John's conception. Are we okay with saying that? Like it probably, he had his mouth shut by Gabriel because he didn't really believe what he was saying. So I'm thinking that at that point he did believe. So by the time he left and got back to Elizabeth, he was like, this is what happened. So like, okay, this is what's gonna happen. Okay, so that's, that's where this is. So, so then back to the timeline, we're to think that at the end of the eighth division's time of service in the temple, that the conception of John was shortly thereafter, okay? I don't think that this, I don't think it was a month after that that John was conceived, good? Just, okay, all right, so then in verse 26, then in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by Adonai into the town of Galilee named Nazareth, and to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, the angel said, Shalom, favored one, Adonai is with you. But as, as the message, she was perplexed and kept wondering what kind of greeting this might be. The angel spoke to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Most High. Adonai Elohim will give him the throne of David, his father. He shall reign over the house of Jacob for all eternity, and his kingdom will be without end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am not intimate with a man? Now, how is Mary's response different than Zachariah's response? I don't know. There's really nothing about the language that shows that he doubted more than she did. But there was something there. There was something and I think that that goes back to the heart. It, did, it doesn't appear that Mary doubts, but is wondering. She was perplexed from the beginning with the greeting, oh, favored one. What does that, what does that mean? How, how am I favored? I, I'm, I'm this like poor teenage girl, like betrothed to be married to a carpenter. Like, how am I the favored one? How does, what kind of greeting is this? What does that mean? But there's something about the heart here in the response. Verse 35, and responding, the angel said to her, 
the spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One being born will be called Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And the one who is, who is called barren is six months pregnant. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary said, Behold the servant of Adonai. Let it be done to me according to your word. That gives us some clue into her heart. That as he said those things, he said, she said, I am his servant, so just let it be done exactly the way you said. So here's, here's where we're at. We had the eighth division. Will you give me that timeline again, Matt? We had the eighth division that was in service. And then, so then Zechariah left his service, went home, and then we know that six months from there, we have this encounter with Gabriel and Mary. Okay, it was six months is what the scripture tells us. So if we went six months from when the eighth division would have left their time of service, which probably puts it towards the end of June in our time, and that somewhere in that Tammuz time, Tammuz, 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 got it. So if we go six from there, one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, this is, what, this is where things get pretty interesting. That lands us in this range right here where Kislev bumps into Tevet, in this area. And what we just talked about last week was the Feast of Dedications, which, which is what we know as, as Hanukkah. Now, it's possible some, some biblical historians think that this part where it says that she left and went to go spend time with Elizabeth is that that may have been to celebrate the Feast of Dedications. That may be, that may be why they were spending time together during, during that time. So now, the difference then in... Elizabeth becoming pregnant with John the Baptist and Mary becoming pregnant with the Messiah is that one of those was what we know to be immaculate. It was it, the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was overshadowed by the Most High. So if, if what we know from Scripture is that when she walked into Elizabeth's house, that it says that the baby like leapt inside of her because he knew that he was in the presence of the Almighty. If that was in this time frame, okay, so then we're six months down the road for Elizabeth. That gives us how much, how much longer? So this is what's pretty fascinating. What's a full-term pregnancy? Like, is it 40 weeks? Like-ish? 40 weeks-ish? That's where... Um, oh, here we go. This is where I started doing math, I think. So if we, if we went 40 weeks for a full-term pregnancy, it was about 24 weeks from the time that the 8th Division would have been finished with their priestly service 
to Hanukkah, about 24 weeks. It's exactly 14 weeks from Hanukkah to Passover. Exactly 14 weeks. That puts us at that 40 weeks, which would have had, which would have had John the Baptist being born right around Passover. Now, here's what's really, really fascinating about that is it is still celebrated in, in Hebrew tradition. They believe that John the Baptist, uh, that Elijah is going to return on Passover. That's still taught to this day that Elijah will come back at Passover because remember, Elijah didn't die, right? He just, he was gone. So they believe that he's going to come back at Passover. And what did Gabriel say about John the Baptist? He said that he would come forth in the power of Elijah. It's just fascinating to me how once you put the timeline together, you start piecing all of these things together, how it all fits. So then if you... Um, if you go back to the timeline, okay, so this is our 40 weeks. This is where we have. So we went 24 from when the eighth division was done to Hanukkah. Then we go another 14 weeks from Hanukkah to Passover. That would still leave, that would still leave three months time for the Messiah. This would be Passover, then would be full term for John the Baptist to come during that time. So then, then you have, then you have the other three months. Now, give me the, that other slide that has the information with Mary. It says six months there. So Mary was about three months with Yeshua when John was born. Three months with Yeshua when John was born. So that leaves from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Nisan 15, it's exactly six months to Tishri 15, which is the first day of Sukkot, the first day of Tabernacles. Now, so if we go six months from Unleavened Bread to Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. You go six months' time there. Now, think about what tabernacles signifies. Think about what's important about tabernacles. When did they celebrate that? Like, go backwards. Go back. When, when did they celebrate this feast? It was, it was after they were brought out of Egypt, and they were told, go and do this and celebrate and remember when I came to rescue you. But then the whole idea of tabernacles and Yeshua coming at that time where he would come and tabernacle with his people. Okay, so if we think about it being at that time, that Sukkot happens, it starts on Tishri 15, so for us, it's usually like late September, early October on our calendar when, when we celebrate Sukkot or Tabernacles. 
much more likely, far more likely, that shepherds would be out in the field keeping watch over their sheep by night. Far more likely. Because, again, just think about the weather conditions. Think about things that just logical. Also, if you're going to do a census, which that's where this started, a decree went out that there was going to be a census taken. If you're going to do that, which requires people to to travel from where they were to wherever their kind of their home base for their family is in order to go register, you're going to do that at a time that is most conducive for people to travel. Right? I mean, just, just think about it logically for a minute. You're going you're gonna to set that up during a time when it's easiest for people to make the, the trip from where they were, where they live, to where they need to get to to register. That puts us in, in the fall. And then also, you might want to do it centered around a time when maybe people are already traveling. You see how you put all, so then get into a biblical feast, one of the celebrations that a huge number of people in that area would have been celebrating anyway, that they would have been traveling anyway. So now all of these things start coming together and fitting together really, really nice and neatly. So it's likely that Mary and Joseph, as they were traveling to go do to register for their census, that they were carrying their things with them to be able to celebrate the Feast of Booths as well. And remember that the first day of Sukkot and the last day of Sukkot are also Sabbaths. So it's likely that, that they were traveling with the intent to stop and rest. But listen, also... This is so cool. They would have been traveling with their manger. They would have had it with them to celebrate their meal, their, their, their Sabbath meal. And when there's, like, you can't blame Joseph for going, is there a hotel we could stay in? Because she is great with child. But there's no room because everybody's traveling. So they, but they're good because it's Sukkot and we've got our stuff with us. And so we'll be fine. We can, we can make this work. So I shared this like right after Sukkot this year, because like I had this thing I was reading one night and I was actually reading Genesis chapter one. And uh, it just occurred to me that, you know, as God's going through and creating things that like, um, he spoke light into existence before he created the day and the night. You remember that? We, we kind of talked about that a little bit. That the thing that when he created the, the sun and the moon to govern the day and the night, he had already created light before that. But do you remember what it said about why he created the sun and the moon? The whole purpose in creating the sun and the moon was so that we would know when to meet with him. That's it. We, we have this thing, we, we, we make this assumption because of the way things are that like we have to have 
the sun to make plants grow and things like that. But if you go back and look at the Genesis 1 account, he created all that vegetation and stuff before he created the sun and the moon. His light is all that's required to sustain life. And we don't have to question that. But he put the sun and the moon into place so that we would know when to meet with him. His appointed times and his appointed seasons, it's the very reason that we have a sun and a moon. If we could just really cut this down to the, to the base, the reason the sun swings in the sky and then eventually fades and then the moon comes up is just so we'll know when to meet with him. You don't think these days on his calendar in his book, you don't think they're important? And then why would he just pick an arbitrary day to bring the Messiah into the world? Why not the first day of the Feast of Booths? Why why would God, when he said he's going to be Emmanuel, he's going to be God with us, why not bring him down to tabernacle with us while we're already setting ourselves apart and remembering his faithfulness and his goodness to us. Why not that day? Why not bring John the Baptist on Passover? Like when you start looking at and you you study, you, you realize the significance of the days. The days are huge. And to act like they're not is silly. Yeah, I want, I want us to I want us to do this. Go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Okay. Do you have that one? I'm sorry, Zechariah. I said Ezekiel. I'm sorry. There may be something in Ezekiel 14 too. So write that down. There might be something you need to read there. Right now we're going to look at Zechariah 14. Okay. Now, the context of this text is when Jesus comes back and the second, the actual second coming, and now he's set up his millennial kingdom that we've been talking about. Okay, look at verse 16 and following. Then all the survivors from all the nations that attack Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king and to celebrate Sukkot. Everyone that survived, everyone that came out, once a year, they're going to go up and they're going to celebrate. Verse 17, furthermore, if any of the nations on earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, they will have no rain. If the Egyptians do not go up and declare and, and celebrate, they will have no rain. Instead, there will be plagues that Adonai will inflict on the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. Verse 19, this will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. Do you think Sukkot is important? Why? Why this? Why, why this, this celebration of all of them? Why this one? 
why would, why would it be this one that he picks out that he says, in my millennia, when I set up and I am the ruler of everything that there is, I'm gonna tell you that once a year, not only Egypt, but the nations are going to separate themselves and come and celebrate Sukkot. And if they don't, I'm going to withhold rain from them. And if they don't, I will withhold rain from them and I will bring plagues on their land. Why this one and not any of the other ones? What's significant about Sukkot? I think it's because that's when the Messiah came. I think that's, and, and, and I think he's going to come back. Do we celebrate the Savior's birth? Absolutely. I, I had a conversation with a, with a friend of mine last week, I believe it was. Uh, it was during, during Hanukkah. And so each night of Hanukkah, we, had, you know, we would take pictures of our celebration and, and post them on social media. And he came and sat down next to me. And um, I've had this question before. And like sometimes just the context or the way it's said, just like, just like Zachariah's response versus Mary's response. But I had this guy sit down next to me. He goes, and I've known him for several years, and he's a friend of mine. He goes, are you Jewish? Exactly. <laughs> and I said, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. He goes, I was just wondering, because you know, I saw your picture. I was like, oh, yeah, we, we celebrate Hanukkah at our house. He goes, so you all celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas? I said, well, we, no, we don't, we don't really celebrate Christmas. And like, it was a jaw dropped and everything. And so anyway, we got into a conversation about it. And it was a really, really good conversation that we had. But he asked the question, so do you celebrate Jesus's birth? And I said, absolutely. But even then at that time, like I'm thinking, well, we do, but when? When do we do that? And so as I've been studying this, like what's come out of this is I know when to celebrate his birth now. And, I, and by the way, I think we should. I think it's, I think it's huge. And, and one of the conversations that we had this year as um, several of us in the church, we decided to celebrate Sukkot together as a church. We went out to uh, Lake Tawakini State Park and we set up tents and campers and we just like spent a week just together and we made meals together and we sat together and got stung by that asp thing over there and like we we played and we 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 fished and we rode bikes and we took walks and we just spent time together as as a body I think it's important for us to do that because we're going to be asked to do it so if we don't, if we don't practice it, how are we going to know what to do? And if it comes a time that we need to be together as a church like that, that we need to spend extended periods of time together, we'll be comfortable doing that because we've, we've practiced. And if it's significant enough that he says that when I come back, if you don't celebrate this holiday, this, this day that I've set apart, if you don't do it, I'm going to withhold rain from your land. 
if it's that significant, then it's probably a good idea for us to get in the habit of it now so that we'll know how to act then, right? It's Sukkot. It's it's him coming and tabernacling with us. I have have no issue with us celebrating the birth of Christ. I, I believe that we should. But I also believe that he put the sun and the moon in place for a reason. And that there is an appointed time for things. There's significance to that. And I want us to just know enough about it to be able to go, yeah, I kind of have an idea. I have, a, I have a general working knowledge of when that might be. And not based off of historians and not based off of tradition, but based off of the scriptures. All we did this morning is we read the Bible. And the only thing that I added to that is I put a side-by-side thing up that shows the biblical calendar and the calendar that we, that's the only thing that I added to this. But do you have, do you feel like you have a better grasp on the timetable? I mean, that was, that's really my only goal this morning is that you have a better understanding of the timetable. And that's from the Bible. The Bible said that Zechariah was in the temple for the eighth division. That, it didn't say eighth division necessarily there, but if you go read First Chronicles 24, you'll find out that Abaha, he served during the eighth division. That's when that particular group was. So you can put pieces together. And then you know that it was six months from there that Gabriel came back to meet with Mary. Well, because like we have an understanding of what a full-term pregnancy is and you're just like adding up weeks, just putting it together. How much longer? Well, then that throws the timetable of John into the time of Passover. Well, that makes sense to me. It it makes sense because what Gabriel said is that he's going to go forth in the power of Elijah. Okay, so then we, we know that that's significant. And also Passover is an appointed time. It's something that, it's not something that was created by man, but that Yahovah set into place. This is one of my appointed times. So it would make sense to me that that forerunner, the one that's going to, going to lay the foundation for the Messiah that's going to come, would come on that holiday before this other holiday that's going to happen. So then you go six months from there to Sukkot. And, and there's, there's a lot in the scriptures about, uh, if, if you see uh, the feast or festival of booths, if you see tabernacles, or sometimes you'll see the word, mine says Sukkot, but again, they, there's a lot of places. But if, if you see that, that's, it's all talking about the same thing. Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, those are, those are the same feasts. It's just like when we looked at last week, we saw that um, Yeshua had gone to the temple to celebrate the Feast of Dedications. Dedica- the Feast of Dedications is Hanukkah. So, you know, sometimes just like the, the words, they, they don't always translate necessarily for us. But I want... I, for, for me and, and for my family, I want to have a better understanding of the appointed times. 
like there's a lot of um, like hallmark holidays, like holidays that are on our calendars that we celebrate, that we say, what's a hallmark holiday? Like it was something that was created at some point to sell cards for, right? It's amazing to me how quickly we'll give over to that and go, well, it's on the calendar, so we got to do it. But we don't know what the Bible says about his appointed times and his calendar and seasons and things that, that he put into place. And it's not that we don't want to celebrate them. We don't know that they're there because we haven't read the Bible. And we don't understand the significance of how things run through these cycles throughout the scriptures, that things that were will be. And tabernacles or Sukkot or or booths is one of those things that was and will be. So if you know that it was and it will be, let's stop pretending like the now doesn't matter. It was and it will be. We're not, we're not just off the hook. Like, now don't worry about it. You'll be ready. How? How are you going to be ready if you've done nothing to prepare yourself for that? I, I just think it's significant. I think it's important. And, and more than ever, I really genuine, genuinely believe that this is when Jesus was born. I really believe that. It's a, it's a day. Like, there is an actual day. It's Tishri 15. That's the first day of Sukkot. And I think it's probably the day Yeshua was born. If, if I had to bet an amount of money that was meaningful to me, <laughs> that's what I would say. I don't know, but that's kind of where I'm landing. So, so why this whole exercise? What's important for us to remember is Emmanuel, God with us. There was only one way for him to undo divorcing his people. There was only one way to do that. And it required death. So he sent his son to serve as that propitiation for us. But not because we were worth it. Not because we were good but for the sake of his holy name. It's what he chose to do in order to bring his people back to himself in order to glorify his name, in order to show that he is still the one true living God. He is the most high. He sent his son to rescue us. And it likely didn't happen on December 25th.
Now, with that being said, be people who are full of the grace of God in the way you go about interacting with people. It's always so important. The, the name of Jesus is on the lips of more people during this season than any other season that we have. Sure. I, I genuinely believe that more people give honor and glory to Jesus during this season than any other season that there is. I want to be a messenger of hope. But I want to be armed with the truth. And I think that if our heart is to be a messenger of hope, to be armed with the truth, then the way we go about having those conversations when somebody wants to have those conversations, that matters. And I believe that God can use that. And that's all that I want. He doesn't need me to fight any battles for him. He could send Gabriel, remember? And I'm in decent shape for 38, but I'm not Gabriel. I'm five foot nine and shrinking. He doesn't need me to fight his battles. He could send Gabriel plus a host of others. And there's going to come a time when he's going to reckon everything. He's going to set everything right. But what does he need from me? He doesn't need anything. What does he want from me? I believe that he wants me to be a messenger of hope. That word gospel was used in the text that we read three different times. It's probably translated as good news in your scripture. It's the gospel. The gospel is good news. And that's, that's what we're to take to people. So maybe we look for opportunities to do that during a time, during a season in which people are um, more likely to hear it. That, they're, that maybe their hearts are more... Um, are softened a little bit more to be able to receive it. Uh, be, uh, my prayer is that, is that we would be ready. We'd be ready to, to share that hope with people.